Hello and welcome to the Humanizing Growth podcast series, brought to you by the Institute for Real Growth. Each week, IIB founders Frank von den Driest and Mark de Swan-Arons will be talking to global leaders and practitioners to discuss what it takes to drive human-centric growth. For more information, visit www.instituteforrealgrowth.com. Good morning. Good evening. I'm Mark Swan Arons of the Institute for Real Growth, and today I'd like to say a special welcome to Lorraine Duhill of Google. Now, Lorraine, we've all been through a, a crazy time. Uh, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Mark, for asking. I'm good. I'm home, a lot less travel, obviously, with the family, and that's been, for me, a silver lining throughout all of this, is being able to see my kids more and being home more. So, so good overall, but obviously, I think, like everybody, feeling that there is a sign of some light at the end of the tunnel, a chance we could see each other again, hug again soon, travel. Uh, very, very keen to go back to Europe and see my family, back to Ireland. So hoping this summer that might be possible. No, I think it's a healthy sense of optimism right now, but also deep realism, given what's happening in India and happening in Brazil and, you know, still very, very worrying, but hopeful that we're on our way back to some sense of normality. I'm very happy that we're having this conversation. Uh, I feel a little bit like an NPR newsreader now because they always say uh, when they talk about the vaccine, they say, oh, and Pfizer is one of the supporters of NPI NewsHour or PBS NewsHour. Well, Google is one of the supporters from day one of the Institute for Real Growth. And that's important to know. And it's also very special. And Lorraine, I mentioned you're with Google, but I think it's important to say that you, uh, you started out, actually, you were one of the first people in the UK office, I believe. And, uh, and then you came over, what is it, 10 years ago? To, Almost 12 uh, now. Coast? 12 years yeah, now. 12 years, yeah. So uh, very early, 2003, you joined Google, I believe. And we're going to talk a little bit about that journey. And we're going to talk about your role as a marketing leader. But before we get into that, I, I would like to just step back. We've talked about COVID from a personal perspective. Now, from a business perspective, just if you look back at the last 18 months or so, what has been the biggest learning for you? Well, I think there's been a lot of learnings for all of us. I certainly felt um, the need to take the time to process a bit and think about, like, what have we learned from all of this? What are the silver linings? What do we take out of this? In fact, I think there's a lot of things I don't want to lose from this that I think have been really good for us. I would say one of the biggest things is understanding that we have we had very strong, strong foundations going in. You know, we had teams who worked well together. We already had a culture where we could work quite well remotely. We were used to being on video conference. Um, we already had a culture where we could move fast, make decisions fast. And I saw all of that get get even better through COVID. I think had you asked me pre-COVID, could we have all worked as well as we did while being remote and all being apart? I would have said, hell no. Turns out we could. Folks in the teams carried home, you know, editing kits, carried home production units, built them in their garages so we could make work. Just the the, the entrepreneurship in the team and the agility of the team, people moved fast to get home setups built so work could continue. So I was just really proud to see the teams pull together, to see the company pull together. And I think a lot of the stuff that, you know, I love about Google, the, the agility, the, the, the sort of, you know, up against it, like help people truly be helpful, show up and be helpful. How can I be useful? That's a huge part of our culture. It just really shone in the last year. I do think we made decisions in days and weeks that would have taken us weeks and months pre-COVID. And that's some of the agility I want to try and keep, the speed of decision-making, the sort of how we pull together fast and, and deploy teams fast. And just take some of those learnings back to, to now as we start to think about reopening and going, going back in, into offices. Do you find that um, as marketing, were you just 
one of the disciplines that was making this pivot, because of course every company and everyone needs to do it, or did you also find that as marketing, you found yourself having a, a special role in helping the company make the pivot in terms of economies or? I think definitely the latter. It's just because of the, all the services we touch, we work across the whole company. Uh, we run so much of our external uh, programs. And so we had a lot of uh, places where we could start. We could very quickly pull together a whole list of suggestions that would actually be helpful to people. And we could also work deep with the product teams to make sure our products stood up and showed what they needed to show. So for example, we worked with uh, the WHO and CDC very fast to put on our on our homepage across 100 countries, like do the five, which was this campaign we ran to say, wash your hands, stay six feet apart, you know, shelter in place, just the five things you needed to do and everyone needed to do at the very, at the very beginning. And like all the way through moments like that. So we put together, um, for example, for teachers, a teach from anywhere kits and a teach from anywhere program. You know, those are the kind of things that our team could stand up. Um, and we also helped the product teams run across company, what I would call a large tricks where everyone just shoved in their product ideas, uh, you know, in a very large spreadsheet. And we all sort of worked through that and deployed the best ideas fast and, and got moving. So uh, it was great to see our, you know, our team be the center of that and be a huge, huge part of that. I think it's a role marketing can play in a company because you're typically one of the few functions that looks across every part of the company, every product, every team, every business unit, every geography. So you have that tremendous visibility and you can connect the dots and sort of bring it all together. And I, I want to talk about the purpose of the company and how that played a role in the pivot post or during yeah. COVID. But I wanted to first start with your purpose because it's something we talk about very quickly and we move on to the, the discussion for the company. But if you don't mind, just you, do you have a, a very clear purpose? Has it been clear for, for a long time? Well, I think, I think if you're any senior woman in any company, you had to carry that burden for some time. Um, I don't think I'm, I'm unique in that, in that, you know, I've been working for almost 30 years in a number of different companies. I'm very lucky to be 18 years at Google, but obviously, you know, pre, you know, pre-Google and even at Google, especially in the early days, I was working with a lot of men. And um, certainly in companies pre-Google, that was bumpy. You get left out a lot. Uh, thankfully, at Google, that was not the case. And now there's a, a force of tremendous senior women at, at Google. And so, it, you know, we're really at the table. But for me, it's been a, because that's been my journey and I've been very lucky to have male and female supporters along the way. I'm a big believer in making room at the table for more women and helping the next generation of women find seats at the table, find their voices um, and you know, make sure that they that they can participate, put their hands up, speak and really you know, are thinking about their careers and how they can grow. And so, you know, internally at work, that's a big focus of mine, certainly a life's purpose of mine, for sure. And I'm just lucky to be at a place like Google where I can, you know, do more work in that space. So, for example, myself and a lot of the other women at Google, we created Women Will, which was to, you know, a bunch of us got together and created a program that our aim is to train 50 million women around the world in digital skills. We launched this about five years ago. We're well on our way. Um, and, you know, so I could take this as a purpose I had. I could bring it to a place like Google. I could get a bunch of my team, female team members and female colleagues and we could just do this extraordinary thing. And it led to me then being able to go speak at the United Nations for International Women's Day with the head of UN Women to talk about our programs. So it's just from this journey in rural Ireland where I, you know, started to being at the United Nations talking about the work I've been doing to help lift other women. You know, it was such a defining moment for me, but it's only because, you know, I could we could create these programs at a place like Google and we could make all this happen. So 
you know, for me, that's been my, 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 my life's purpose. It still is, continues to be, you know, every week I make time to meet you know, up and coming rising stars who are female, to bring them together, not just at Google, but across the industry. I just hosted a, a, a book session, co-hosted a book, a book session discussion uh, two days ago uh, with a phenomenal author, Anna Malika Tobbs, who wrote a book called The Three Mothers, about the mothers of James Baldwin, uh, Malcolm X, and Martin Luther King Jr. Their mothers have never been recognized in history. They have never been celebrated. And um, we brought together you know, 50 powerful women, CMOs, CEOs, to listen to Anna talk about her book and to encourage them all to help spread the word and buy the book. And, you know, like every week I try and have something like, just something like that to do something to continue uh, um, that journey and to make sure that we keep helping each other and, and lifting amazing women. So you're bringing two worlds together and we have an exercise in the um, Institute for Real Growth program, the Iggy Guide, where we get people to really do the overlapping circles between what they're great at, what their calling is, and also what the world needs for them and what the company needs for them. If you were to describe that intersection between your personal passion and what the company needs and the company purpose, how, how would that look roughly? So it's a really interesting question. That sounds like a fantastic exercise, Mark, that you, you do together. I think, I think I've always been a connector. I'm a people person and, and I'm a storyteller. And I just, I, I, you know, I think I'm Irish, so we, you know, we, 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 have a, we have a history of storytellers. It's, you know, literature, and it's a huge part of our culture. So it's a huge part of who I am. And I think, you know, human stories, understanding humanity, how we can help people, hearing their stories, lifting them. It's always been a personal passion of mine. Of course, it deeply overlaps with Google's purpose as a company uh, from the very early days with Larry and Sergey and their passion um, for helping others. And you know, the, whole, the whole mission of the company was to organize the world's information to make it universally accessible and useful, to therefore bring knowledge to everyone who needs it. Um, and so that's the, that, that to me is, you know, that's why I'm still there. You know, it's a match made in heaven because um, our products and tools help so many people around the world. It's part of, a big part of my job is to help those folks know about those products and tools. And so it's a fantastic, uh, you know, connection there. I think education is a, and in one space that I've personally been very passionate about, I'm the daughter of te two teachers. I've got two siblings who are teachers. And, you know, education is a huge uh, focus area for our company. My boss, Sundar, our CEO, is a massive believer in education. His personal story also uh, coming to the U.S. as an immigrant, coming from India, a big believer in education. It gave him so many chances in life as it did me. So my, I, my ability to take, to take my passion for education as a product of, of teachers you know, his and, and to be at a company that puts sort of education first and has lots of tools and programs that help bring, you know, education and bring knowledge to so many people in the world. You know, to me, that's a huge connection between my personal beliefs and journey and the companies. And so I'm kind of a, you know, one of the exec sponsors of our education programs at Google. And I'm really proud of that. You know, it's like, a, it's like my 20% project at Google. We have these things called 20% projects. And sort of one of my 20% projects is sponsoring education and looking across the company at our education efforts, you know, for schools and teachers and for lifelong learning mm -hmm. uh, for people. And, you know, again, that's to me, that's one of the best examples of how my personal purpose and journey connects with the companies. So we share something in, in being a child of educators. My father's professor uh, was of uh, thermodynamics. You know, we talk a lot about the downsides of COVID. The silver lining that he mentioned of all people now he's really a, a little tall to travel to conferences all over the world, but because of COVID, he suddenly was attending Zoom conferences everywhere again. And back to the education part, he mentioned the story, which I think is worth sharing. He mentioned that in a conference, 
a very young professor from Africa that normally would never have been given a minute's time at a conference, uh, got to speak and mentioned that he was studying Boko Haram. And everybody was kind of looking around at yeah, he's in the wrong conference almost. And then he pointed out that thermodynamics is all about changes of phases and waves of energy, that when Boko Haram intrudes into a country or into a province, there is a wave of people that move to escape the violence. And that these waves of people actually explained and predicted and helped through the laws of thermodynamics. And I listened to that story and I just thought, wow, there's a silver lining of any, how these, this, this, this knowledge is being connected in strange places. It, it gets a little bit to what I wanted to ask you next, which is about the role of the CMO. You mentioned education. I think you were talking mostly in the traditional sense and building capability. But do you find as a marketing leader, you're also responsible for educating what are engineers and people from very different disciplines around the power of marketing and the power of brands? For sure. I mean, I definitely think in the early days when I took over the global role, there really wasn't a strong marketing function at Google. We didn't have in the head office in the, here in the US a really strong marketing culture. I had built a, the regional marketing team in Europe and, and had built up that whole team and I had a clear point of view on what marketing's role should be. And I think they had seen a lot of that. But when I moved to the US, it wasn't defined in the US, which was an opportunity um, and certainly also a risk and so I got to define really what marketing should be and could be at Google and build a team and hire and really our first really senior marketing leads and organize the design, the structure. And I certainly think in the early days, we had to work hard to prove the value we would bring. There was definitely a culture of, you know, get the marketing folks involved a week before launch of a product or feature. And we need right. a name and a video and a blog post. We're kind of like the poster department, you know. Yes. Yes. And, you know, we, we worked hard to... Um, to get involved much, much earlier. And to now today, that is just standard procedure. But you know, we worked hard to get involved way earlier earlier at Google. Typically, when our new project's kicking off, like a new product and a feature, it's given a code name. That's what we have to get involved at the code name phase yeah. um, and help with product positioning, You know, help define what this product's going to be. And so building a strong product marketing function is critical in a company like ours, where you're sitting and working so much with product and engineering. You have to have very strong product marketers who can bring insights to the table and can go deep with product managers and engineers, but can also help them like paint a vision for where they want to go. We're great storytellers. We're great at visioning things. So when you pull their ideas out of their heads, sometimes you can come back and say, is this what you meant? And you can create some fantastic visuals or we've created, you know, especially in the early days and over the years, you know, like we'll, we'll create some really cool videos to show like, look, this is where this product, these products could go. Is this what you're talking about? And I remember once our head of search going, oh, my God, you just nailed like my two, three year plan. And I'm just going to show this to Larry. And that's my that's my plan, because we can, you know, we obviously they're all his ideas, but we just yes. brought it to life and showed it to the lens of users and how that could look and manifest itself. And so I think that's the role we we define pretty early on internally um, um, in, in adding value with the product teams and the engineers and. Part of how we did that was just one of the first things we started to do as I moved over to the US was to build an in-house creative team called Creative Lab. And I have a partner who's been my partner all through the years, Andy Burnt and Robert Wong, who sort of run that team. Uh, you know, they did this kind of work because it was in-house. There was trust built with the engineers and the product managers. You know, our creatives in the Creative Lab could go deep with the engineers. Engineers are inherently very creative too. And we could ideate together. Uh, and that actually built such a strong foundation of trust 
and got us involved, got us at the table way earlier in the process than just coming in at the tail end. And then along came Sundar, he built, Sundar built Chrome. And here we are with our first, this is now going back 10 years and 11 years. And here's our first, you know, huge consumer marketing challenge, brand new product. No one had heard of it. Of course, there are huge browsers in the world like Safari and Mozilla, Firefox and Internet Explorer. And no one gets up in the morning and thinks they have to change their browser. No one, no one cared, right? It was just default. You hit the one that was there and off you went. With Sundar, we worked together and Sundar and I went in at, at the time and pitched to our founders, Larry and Sergey, and to Eric, who was CEO, look, please give us a big marketing budget and we're going to go do this big consumer campaign and we're going to get folks caring about which browser they use and helping them understand why they should choose Chrome because it's safe or easier, or faster, you know, et cetera, and all these things it does. And so we did that. And so because Sundar and I went through this journey together and proved out that like consumer marketing and, you know, campaigns run well and across multiple countries can over time drive huge success. I now have a CEO and boss because he's now, Sundar's now the CEO who's a true believer, a true believer in the role of marketing in the company. And he's a phenomenal brand manager and advocate for marketing and um, will time and time again send folks to us going, hey, you need their help. So now I have a situation where when I started as global CMO, I was having to prove my way. Now I've got a boss and CEO of the company who totally gets it and is a true believer. And you know, so it's been a fantastic journey. Yeah, you said trust. Yeah, I'm a big believer in trust. I think it's so important. Like I think you have to build strong relationships, close ties, and you, and you have to build trust. At the end of the day, these are human relationships. And that's what I talked earlier about strong foundations. That's really what I meant as we all went off, you know, working from home, having close ties, having strong foundations, having trust uh, at the management team level, for example, us as peers, really trusting each other, believing in each other uh, is so important. And I think it's, it's really stood to us through COVID as we've all been very distributed to have those close ties, to have that trust going in. You've touched upon the purpose of Google. I'd like to understand a little bit of when COVID struck, did you find that where purpose was most clear, the next steps and how to react was most clear? Was it how how did that look at Google? Yes, I mean definitely there was chaos in the in in as we went as we went in. And so we very quickly started getting, you know, daily management team meetings together, regular communication to the company, clear game plans. First job we had to do was get everyone settled at home and make sure we could still function as a company and that products weren't gonna fall down. We weren't going to let people down, billions of users down, companies down who relied on our products and services, even more so going into COVID. You can imagine the kind of pressure our systems took as the whole world went remote and started hitting our products and services. Google Meet being a great example. You know, we had to work really, really hard to make it a lot better, faster, uh, so that teachers and consumers and businesses could connect and, op and operate. Google Classroom being used by teachers, same thing. Engineers sprinting through the night, through the weekends to make sure that we didn't fail people, that our products could cope with this huge uh, rush towards the internet that happened with COVID. So I mean, that was really step one. We also uh, stood back and thought, okay, what is our role in all of this? What is the role that we have as a company? How do we step up and show up and be helpful? And uh, definitely my, my team spent a lot of time thinking about that. And at our core, we are an information company. That's what we do. And that's why we felt the most important first step we should take is to make sure clearly on our homepage, there's links to get the facts, get the information. Um, in our search results, we built one boxes, we call them one boxes, like dedicated panels explaining what COVID is, even is, how to stay safe. Do you have these symptoms, next steps if you do, where to find testing? You know, in the early days, it, it, there was just 
a lack of clear information and a lack of a way to get that clear information out to people. And so that's why we partnered with WHO, CDC, to make sure we could raise, rise up you know, on our products, authoritative information across Google and YouTube and make sure folks could find that and find that in every country. And so that was a huge piece of work we stood up. Um, and that was really step number one, um, which was just get information in people's hands. We also knew we could help reach you know, younger people who weren't necessarily following the rules. And this was really important for us. So our YouTube team, our YouTube marketing team worked on you know, uh, bringing all of the YouTube creators to the table and working with them to create um, with, with me, stay home with me and this whole campaign about like all the great things you could do from home together, you know, just really getting the creators, encouraging all of their followers and all of their fans to just, just listen to them and just stay safe, stay, stay home. That was, that was a role we could play as a company. These were things we could do. We could reach a lot of young people fast on, on YouTube. So we felt that was incredibly important work. And even now going through the latest phase of COVID, all the work we're doing around about get the facts and our vaccine campaigns. So we've been running very large campaigns, you know, across our platforms and also with the Ad Council. We co-created the Ad Council vaccine campaign to to get people, you know, excited about taking the vaccine and to work and try and reach high hesitancy groups to help them get comfortable with with taking the vaccine. So you know, access to information, helping folks get the facts, helping them understand how to stay safe and then how to protect themselves through wearing masks through through getting the vaccine, we felt was a really important role we could play. For example, we did a, a, a Google Doodle, we've run it a number of times, showing wear a mask across the Doodle, you know, the Google letters on our homepage, which, you know, it's very playful. People see it, they share it, they talk about it. It just reminds them, wear a mask, it's the safest way, you know, it's the easiest way to stay, to stay. And I think the other thing, we've always been a company that's cared deeply about small businesses throughout all of the years, since the very, very early days. Um, it's one of the first things I worked on when I, when I joined. And we knew that small businesses were gonna be hit the hardest through through COVID. So a big, a big a big amount of our time has been focusing on economic recovery. And so the two big focus areas for us there have been how do we help small businesses through COVID, especially all of the ones that were not on the internet. As their as their physical front doors close, could we help them find a digital front door? How do we give them digital skills and train help them train up fast? We, you know, we got such incoming from small businesses going help us. How do, how do we get on the map? How do we get found? You know, how do we get found in search? How do people find us? How do we get, how do we sell online? And so we would help with training them, helping small businesses survive and be successful. Uh, um, and then restaurants, you know, on Google Maps, being able to say, change their settings. There was no option to say, you know, you could pick up food. We didn't have things like that. There was no, so we had to very quickly build features that would allow businesses to say, yes, we're closed, but you can pick up between these hours or here's our menu and here are your options. Just really working fast to make sure we were incredibly helpful to these small businesses going through a tough time. And another part of economic recovery efforts was around digital skills. This is again, sweet spot for us, something we've cared about for years. We turns out we had a lot of these programs, but we, they weren't all in one place. And of course, through COVID, they became critical, which is giving people digital skills, career certs. We have these career certs that help people change careers. Um, and now we're seeing coming out of COVID, we've launched a whole bunch of new career certs. These are, these are certificates where you can actually earn a whole, a whole new, new type of career, a whole new type of job, and we have all of these amazing companies signed up to hire the graduates from these career certs and to give them meaningful new jobs and careers, which, you know, again, I'm, I'm very excited about that work because, I, you know, I think COVID's been an accelerant of, you know, kind of a new world where there's different types of jobs today and different types of careers. And if, if we can arm folks with the skills for them, you know, they can do these courses, six, nine month courses and have a whole new career. Data analytics is an example of that, you know, project management is, is an example. 
uh, of that. Um, IT certificates, professional, professional skills is an example of that. So th you know, those are some of the areas where we as, as a company could, could add tremendous value fast and they felt like uh, natural to us because we had existing programs. So, so I've heard you talk about programs. Uh, we talk about the four stakeholder groups in the IOD program. Let's talk a little bit now in your role as the head of the marketing function and the colleagues. Mm -hmm. uh, we're in uh, May. People started out on a sprint last March, a year ago. It turned out that actually it was a marathon. Uh, what are you seeing now in your teams in terms of being able to sustain this and pivoting to perhaps new ways of working? Well, I, I definitely think it's a marathon and a sprint pace. And I think it's taken its toll on teams. I'm certainly hearing that from the teams. I think we're all hearing that. And it's been tough. I personally find it really hard to be on screen all day. Um, I find it takes a lot more out of me. And I really miss the social aspects of the office. I think it's all the downsides of work in many ways because it's quite transactional and none of the upsides of being in the office and the serendipity of bumping into people at the coffee machine or the social aspects of seeing everyone's dogs and baby bumps and you know all the sort of life you see in the office. I just certainly miss that and, I, I, and we've all found this uh, uh, tiring, I think. So, you know, there's, there's, first of all, we're focused on, you know, getting folks back in the office as soon as we can, uh, as soon as it is safe because we know we've got a lot of people in our teams who are living in very small accommodations or are living in shared accommodations and therefore have to work from their bedrooms, which means they're in their rooms 23 hours a day. Um, it's just not healthy. And they've done this for a year and they're lonely. And for many of our younger employees, the office is their social environment. It's also where they get their food, they get fed, they have their gym. We're, 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 a priority for us is to, as soon as it's safe in every country, so it's already happening in Asia, for example, as soon as it's safe in a country, to get a percent back in as a release valve for those who really want to get back in. That's step one. Um, we just announced this week um, our return to office plans, which is to bring in a hybrid, a hybrid work model. So three days in, two days home, as well as more flexibility around work location, being able to work from other offices. So we're hopeful that would also help people. They can start thinking about that and planning towards that as soon as it's, it's safe to get more folks back in. And then I think in the meantime, you know, I've worked a lot with my management team and spent a lot of time thinking about how do we really, really prioritize tightly so we reduce the workload and make sure that, you know, people can cope with the workload they're carrying from home. How do we, how do we um, you know, really stay focused on um, managing the amount of meetings and uh, meeting time versus what I call deep work. It's something I have to keep reminding folks that look, Meetings are not the only way we work. In fact, for me, I think sometimes meetings are a distraction from the real work. Yeah. And um, you have to, you know, you have to consciously block what I call deep work time every day in your calendar. I try to have two or three slots of deep work, you know, where you can read emails, review materials, get back to people, ping a few folks, make a quick call. You know, all of those things that are not done in meetings, but need to happen. And I think if everyone blocks time in their calendar for deep work, it gives you a break from the screens. You show up more thoughtfully, you have a chance to review stuff, you have a chance to get back to people. And I don't think we prioritize that enough. So, you know, things like that, little little tips and tricks that, that help. We've got this feature called Schedule Send in Gmail. We're all trying to actively use that now. So if you want to sit in bed at nighttime and write, you know, 50 email replies, you can pick Schedule Send and then they send at, you know, 8 a.m. the next morning, for example. Uh, um, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah. Right. So it may suit me. It may suit me to go do all my email at nighttime. It doesn't mean that my whole team have to get those emails then and then their teams and then their teams and it cascades down and everyone's affected by the fact that Lorraine does her emails at nighttime. Right. As an example. 
So mm -hmm. we're all trying to, and then because we're a truly global team, if we're all banging on emails end of day, it's really all these Euro European teams are, and the Asian teams are getting these pings during the night. So we're just trying to be more respectful of, of people's time and downtime, like schedule send, encouraging folks to create boundaries. Like I really miss the drive home from work because that for me was a natural boundary. You know, I could process my day, go in the door, you know, and start my evening. And I think, um, you know, for me, thinking I've tried fast, to- thinking slow. The thinking slow time is, has disappeared for most people. I, I know I need that. Like if I do a day that's just full of like 15 different meetings on screen, I'm exhausted by the end. My voice starts to go, my eyes start to go, <laughs> I start to physically fall apart. Like I know I need thinking slow time, whether that's I walk the dog end of day, whether that's I block some time to process, to just read stuff, review stuff. I also find it annoying that, you know, like we have a culture of send the materials in advance. I, I want to I look at those before the meeting. I think meetings are much better if everyone's read the materials. And if you have to spend the entire meeting getting up to speed, you don't have time for a quality conversation. And so you need time blocked to actually look at the stuff and, you know, maybe ping a few folks, ask a few questions, go in prepared. You know, anyhow, I think those are some of the things that we're actively talking about and encouraging folks to do so that we get into a good work rhythm, good work behaviors, good work habits, but also looking at, you know, getting folks back into offices, giving them a break from their homes and their screens and just allowing them to get excited about coming back into, you know, the culture and the offices that we're that we're known for. Is it a matter of uh, just easing our way into a new phase where you're adding back in in-person contacts? Uh, or do you actually feel that in some instances there really needs to be, um, I don't know, some kind of breakpoint, some, some kind of pivot? Everybody has been so uh, action-oriented that perhaps there are big ideas waiting to drop that people just need some quiet <laughs> on the beach perhaps before they drop. I, I do think that it's super important that we work hard to create space for slow thinking, deep thinking. I think, for example, we've been trying things like Focus Fridays, you know, where you just have right. focus time or focus half days where different teams are trying different experiments. We love experiments at Google. You know, we love running experiments and learning. So and that's definitely helped. Certainly people feel there's just weight off them. They have time to think a bit more uh, from that. We're also big believers in sprints and collaborations. And like a lot of ideas come from being together. And that's really hard on, on screen. It gets very hard to run a, you know, a sprint or run a deep collaboration session. But we're, we're whiteboarders. You know, we, we like to jump in a room together, you know, bag stuff out, brainstorm. That's our culture. So we're working hard in our offices to create spaces that are really about collaboration. So as folks go back in for the three days they go back in, those will be the days we will do the collaboration sessions, the sprint sessions, the meetings, so that there is a whiteboard ability. Folks can be around it. We can talk. We can brainstorm ideas. We know that's where the big ideas come from. Like we know that's where the best work comes from. And it's just harder to do all of that from home all the time. You've mentioned your passion about um, diversity, very specific to raising the opportunities for women. But I know your passion is broader. And um, diversity in our marketing ecosystem has, um, has thankfully become much more important uh, over the last year. And uh, a lot of things are happening, uh, but still there is so much to be done. And we've talked in our program, we have Antonio Lucio talking and teaching about the steps that every marketer can take. I really would like your perspective on that too. First, to sort of lay on the land lay the land of the marketing industry and how you see things, then where you see changes and, and things that leaders that are listening to this interview can, can jump on and can learn from and can accelerate. 
and things where we still need to act and more needs to be done. It's a great question. Certainly the question of our time, I think, Mark, and the single biggest area where I think marketers can have tremendous impact. I think the, there's a lot of progress and there's a lot of talk. And I think everyone's moving now and everyone's learning and everyone's working out their approaches, their their plans. I think that's that's really, really good. I think there's also a lot of sharing of ideas and learning. So you know, myself and Antonio and Diego, we've spoken to, like we've all, Mark, we've all shared our different ideas and we've all um, collaborated in, in our thinking. And I think that's hugely important because what I have learned in the sort of five or six past years where we've really looked at all forms of diversity is that, it, you know, it's a heavy lift. You have to really work out. There's a lot of learnings along the way. You have to really work out how to stay committed, how to build operational plans it's not just uh, one and done. You can't just announce something and the world changes. You have to actually daily live this. It's a daily commitment. It's forever work. And I think a big learning for me, you know, I was always on my my women's fight through all the years. It was just really moving to the US that I learned that the, the diversity is much more nuanced than that. And I learned a lot more about racial diversity and, you know, um, age diversity and socioeconomic diversity and, you know, thinking about people with disability, for example. And so there's we have a much broader definition of diversity now in my team than we probably had in the early days. And certainly leaning into race has been a huge focus for us in the in the last five years. And I think I think there's three areas where we're focused. I think that's where everyone should focus really. To me, it starts with my leaders and managers. So it's, a, it's about leaders accountable for change. Like you have to hold your managers responsible. They are the ones who create the lived experiences for the folks in their team. They're the people responsible for human beings and their careers and their experiences. So that's where it can go wrong. You know, there's no point going out and hiring all the best people in the world. We were very focused on acquisition, on hiring. We have hired a tremendous amount of diverse talent. But if the, at the end of the day, their lived experience isn't what it should be because you haven't landed them correctly and their manager doesn't get it, you have just then put them, you've got to do all this hard work. You've convinced them to come. You've convinced them you care and their lived experience isn't there. So for me, it starts with managers and leaders accountable for change. You've got to measure it. You've got to coach managers who don't get it. You have to make it part of promotion. We will not promote someone to a senior role in marketing if they have not proven that they actively care about DEI. So the evidence has to be there. And you have to, you have, to have that accountability. That's the, to me, that's the uh, training. We have mandatory training for all of our managers. We've invested in building extraordinary training out, and it's mandatory for all managers. And I've personally taken it a number of times, and it's really, really, really good. So it's worth the time. That's the first bucket. The second bucket is, you know, a team that looks like our users. You know, our team, we have to have diversity around the table at every level. And we had gaps. So, for example, I was always super proud of the number of women in my team, not paying attention to the fact that I was really did not have very many at all African-American senior women. And so I've worked really hard on that now to address that gap. We still have gaps in certain areas around senior Latinx leaders, for example, and we're working on that. Um, so understanding at every level of your organization where you have gaps, setting goals, numeric goals. I'm a big believer in numeric goals and working towards those at every level to address the gaps. The talent is out there and then building that community. So you can't just hire. You've got to build that community. They have to really believe you care. And that leads to the third bucket, which is the body of work that you put out in the world, a body of work that challenges status quo. And in my mind, there's two buckets in that work. There's what I would consider to be table stakes which is getting representation and stereotypes right. And it's not just representation. And again, we made mistakes here. So it's, it's not just making sure that you have, you know, work that truly represents the multicultural world we live in. It's not just good enough to feature, you know, African-Americans in your creative. Like that's just, you, that's just, that's not enough. You, ha you have to actively work to make sure you're telling stories that truly resonate with 
multicultural audiences and in a non-stereotypical way. So making sure, for example, that you're showing people in a very positive light, not just in a stereotype, whether that's moms in the kitchen or dads being bad at cooking, terrible stereotype. My house is totally the reverse, you know, or whether it's always showing a mistake we made is oftentimes in our creative showing African-Americans dancing or playing sports, not showing them as great fathers or showing them as doctors. We showed, you know, I remember once getting feedback from our, we have internal team of consultants who help us get this right. They're, they're volunteer time, 20 percenters. And we had a spot we were very proud of, and it was a story of a wonderful Latinx woman who was working as a waitress. You know, again, leaning into stereotypes, you know, making sure that we get that right and really learn from that. And, and so the body of work you put out in the world, you know, representation and stereotypes and getting all of that right in the work. To me, that's just table stakes. And then on top of that, can you actually do work that brings truths, that brings insights to the world that folks haven't seen before, that truly is challenging the work that's put out in the world today? And I think, you know, once you've got the foundation of training everybody and creating work that truly hits representation and, you know, anti-stereotype goals, then you can start to do work that's genuinely, you know, game changing. And, you know, an example for us would be... um, like we, we launched a campaign called Most Search, and we, we only found this idea because we had, you know, somebody in our team who was from an African, the African-American community and saw certain search trends, which was oftentimes the most searched athlete, the most searched musician, the most searched speech, the most searched poem all time, all happened to be African-Americans. Like not even the African-American community knew this. But we put all that together in this campaign called Most, most Searched and showed that. We celebrated these proud moments in history, these proud, extraordinary achievements. And, you know, it, it, it really mattered. And it became such a big thing. You know, it, it just was the reaction was extraordinary and it just broke through in, a, in an extraordinary way. And I can tell you, we have run so many different campaigns. This thing broke through at a level we'd never seen just in terms of talk and in conversation and sharing. And it was a huge learning for us that we hit, we, we, we hit, we hit a nerve there. It really, it really mattered. Same thing through um, the protests of last year, the racial equity protests. We put out, you know, and again, these are important decisions you make. We put out some creative, a number of different pieces of creative, really mirroring what we were seeing in search results, mirroring the truths we were seeing, you know, uh, around Black Lives Matter and Black Trans Lives Matter. And again, just showing the kind of search trends we were seeing, showing what people were searching for, showing this huge spike in searches for allyship and how to be an ally, just showing that to the community. People were with them. People actually cared. This stuff spiking off the charts. We're seeing it in search results. Huge increases in searches for this. And just showing that to people, you know, really helped them. And it was just a role we could play. So, you know, to me, there are, those are examples of being braver, doing work that's, you know, really beyond the table stakes, beyond just representation, and then is really about creating a narrative in the world that you care. I know that you've been working, and it's a personal passion of your own, on a tool to actually audit content. And, 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 and in the future, that might become available to, uh, to the people listening to this. Uh, I think that's really important to mention. Would you mind just sharing a little bit? For sure, a couple of things that's, that, that we're doing. Well, first of all, I would say we started um, years ago with the Gina Davis Institute to help build, using machine learning to build an ability, a tool for them to scan movies for uh, um, gender percentage, many women, women in prominent roles in movies, for example, and to understand bias, gender bias in, in Hollywood, in, in movies and content. About three, four years ago, we started thinking we should use this ourselves on our own content. So how do we then audit? So in the last three years alone, we've audited 20,000 pieces of content, web pages, videos, everything we create. 
And by using this tool, but also manually, we've audited about 10,000 pieces of creative manually over three years um, to look at gender, but also race at a really detailed level uh, through our creative. And I really think that's very important. We do it every single year. We publish internally. And I've also talked about it externally, including the data. We publish a report with the numbers. So we're very accountable uh, around the numbers and where we have to do better. And for example, we learned in the first year that typically the women we were casting were 10 years younger than the men. So how do we close the gap? We learned that we were casting, we did, we did good in our overall percent of African-Americans, but they were all light-skinned. And you need to, we, need, we need to work harder to make sure we have more dark-skinned African-Americans. Um, we didn't have, in, in, in videos about our phones, like Pixel phones, for example, what color is the hand? who's the protagonist, the voice of God. You know, we all have voiceovers in so much of our creative, often male, or does the voice sound very white? So, you know, it was all of these details that the, the, the creative audit taught us, taught us so much and it gave us goals because then we could say, okay, we want to shift the number of Latinx, you know, uh, protagonists in our creative from X to Y. And we could, it gave us all as a team goals out of which we developed training, out of which we developed programs, internal campaign playbooks. Now, what I want to do, because this has been a tremendous amount of work and learning, what I want to do is systemize it in a way that we can bring that out to more people. Just because it's been so hard for us to get this right, Mark, and it's taken us so much time and it's an awful lot of learning. If we can help others get there faster, yeah. um, I would love to do that. I'm starting with my own agencies. We work with hundreds of great agencies. There's you know, nine or ten that are almost half of our creative spend. They're hugely important to us. I meet with them personally on their own diversity numbers and at every level of their companies from management down, we have a clear understanding of their uh, hiring and their numbers, but in terms of, all, of of helping them get there faster so they can bring it to all their clients too, as well as to all of our work, I wanna bring the training and the tools to them first. And they're now giving us feedback on all of this to make it even better. So my hope is once we've been through that, we'll actually have an even better, more useful toolkit that we can bring out to, to more people. That's very exciting. And it's, it's you clearly developed something, there's no reason why other people shouldn't apply it. And one of the things we hear so often in our program, companies like Google can do this, but we can't, but actually they can. I don't think what we did is, is, is rocket science. I just, I do think it's hard work and I think it took committed people in the team to crack it. Yeah. And I don't, I think it's a lot to expect each of our agencies, many of which are small because we love working with more boutique shops. I think it's a lot to expect each of them to crack it by themselves. Exactly. And, and so that's why I think if we share our learnings and, and it won't take others the three to five years it took us, they can get there faster because we've, we've captured all of our learnings and we actually have a nice toolkit and playbook now that we think will help people. Really, I would like to ask you two more questions and I'll give you both so you can decide what order you want to do. The first is, who else you think our audience can learn from, needs to learn? That's one that I'm going to shoot at you. And the other one is really, if there was one thing that you wish that no one else had to learn the way that you had to learn it, and you can just tell them now. What's the big thing that you wish you'd learned 10 years ago? So those are two final questions for me. You can get to which you do first. <laughs> wow. I mean, I learned so much from a lot of my peers. I would recommend, I know you've already had a few of them be interviewed. Probably recommend you have like Fiona Carter, the CMO of Goldman Sachs. I think she's in a very interesting role at a very interesting time and has a very interesting story. So I would certainly recommend Fiona. Um, I've learned a lot from her too. What have I learned over the years? I, I think, I mean, I guess I've learned a lot over the years as I've gotten older and wiser. And I think I've thought about this a lot through COVID too, 
is uh, you probably get from me, like I have a healthy sense of urgency, you know, uh, I'm a perfectionist and sort of pretty intense. And I think I've learned that life is short. I also was quite sick five years ago. I got cancer and it was a pretty serious one and I managed to beat it. But I think it was a massive wake up call for me. And I have to ask myself, how much did, did my perfectionist attitude and all of that affect the whole situation of me getting sick in the first place? So I think I think that plus, you know, add that to COVID, I think has made me realize that, you know, you've got to enjoy the journey. Like you've, we have the most fun job in any company. There's no doubt to me in my mind. If you don't enjoy a CMO job, I'm sorry. It's the best job. It's creative. It's fun. Of course, you have massive pressure and huge business goals. But, you know, there are more and more tools today to help you. And you can hire folks who are just really good at that. But it is such a fun job. And you're just the connector across the company and bringing the outside in to the whole company. You know, so it's an exciting role. I couldn't be more excited about my job, even though I'm 12 years in. It's fun. And I think we all, uh, you know, even though we carry huge burdens as leaders and our teams look up to us and our peers need us right now and our stakeholders, we have to also find a way to enjoy it. Like have fun, enjoy the day, enjoy the job, because you spend so many hours doing it. Every day we leave our families to go do this. You've really got to enjoy it and and and, and make the most of it and, and have fun. It's so funny you say that because we, uh, in previous conversations, have talked about the profile for the CMO of the future that we developed together with Spencer Stewart, the Da Vinci growth leader. And the fifth attitude, the final and most important, is indeed to be a storyteller, back to your Irish roots, that inspires. And I think yeah. as a connector, that's what we all do as marketers and organizations. I completely agree with you. And I think it's the it's unique role that marketers can play in a company. I think we bring that to the table. Oftentimes, I often counsel my younger team members who try to be as much like the product folks as, as they can be. I always counsel them, no, your role is to be different. You're the, you bring the outside in, you bring the insights, you're the storyteller. That's your secret sauce. That's your strength. There's nobody else in the company who can do this as well as you. And so go own it and go do it. And I think it's a huge opportunity. More than Needed now more than ever, I would say. Lorraine, I really appreciate the time you've taken. The audience is a lot of marketers and other growth leaders who are in similar roles trying to help their companies pivot to a multi-stakeholder growth perspective. And by touching on the value that you and your teams and the company Google delivers for all the different stakeholders. Um, you're bringing that alive in a way that I'm sure will actually inspire the marketers in this case. So thank you so much for that. Well, thanks for having me, Mark. It's great fun as always chatting with you. I always enjoy it so much. So, and thank you for all that you do at the Institute. I think it's been incredibly helpful to everybody. All right, with that, I'd like to say thank you and goodbye to everyone. Thank you, Lorraine, and goodbye. Thanks, Mark.